0: Turn, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Yes, I have all my family in. We have a wedding tonight. My oldest son is getting married. Uh, So we had 50 people over for dinner last night for the non-rehearsal rehearsal rehearsal dinner. (laughs) Non-rehearsal because there really wasn't a rehearsal. We just... I guess we're just going to wing it. Yeah. (laughs) A couple of weeks ago, we started the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon that we have preached by Jesus. It starts in Matthew chapter 5 and continues into chapter 6 and 7. There is a version of it in the book of Luke. We had a discussion last week about the fact that uh, scholars spend a lot of time trying to reconcile the Luke version and the Matthew version, because the Luke version is a little bit shorter, and some of the phrases are different. And they go, oh, well, this is why, this is why. My personal opinion, and it is pure opinion on my part, is I believe Jesus was preaching all over the place And if Luke recorded one sermon and Matthew recorded another sermon, it doesn't mess up anything. In fact, we can use the two sermons to highlight the truths that are contained in both of them. So, chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We started last week with a discussion of what it means to be blessed. Blessed are, and the normal translation of that is happy. You are happy when these things are true. Now, as we said last week, that only makes sense if you take a very long-term view of the word happy. If we today take the word happy to mean right now I have everything that I want, I'm doing what I want, everything is going my way, then very few of us are happy. But if you accept the fact that God has the right and the ability to tell us what a truly blessed life looks like, we begin to see that his list is very different than what you and I would expect a list to be. Last week we began with blessed are the poor in spirit. If I'm going to tell you the characteristics that I want to see in my children, my grandchildren, you and your children and grandchildren, we would probably not start with a lack of something, a lack of spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. But what we discussed last week was the fact that this poverty of spirit is the acknowledgement, the recognition that you cannot save yourself. You can do nothing that will earn your place into heaven. God is a holy God. We are sinners. We cannot enter the presence of God. And as long as we as human beings try, work, to work our way into heaven, we create our list, we follow our list, we do all these wonderful things, and some of them are wonderful things. But as long as we do it thinking we can work our way into the kingdom of heaven, we can't get into the kingdom of heaven. But the moment we acknowledge that we do not have the ability We do not have the power, we do not have the strength to work our way in. The doors of the kingdom open and we are welcome to enter. God is going to save us in such a way that God gets all the glory. We kind of ran out of time last week, so I didn't get to read my uh, hymn. This is an old hymn. I've actually never heard it uh, sung in my life. I just read it. Years ago, and I keep it in my notebook. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be when I proudly said to Jesus, All of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, I beheld him, bleeding on the accursed tree, and my wistful heart said faintly, Some of self and some of thee. Day by day his tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, Less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. When we begin to realize that we cannot save ourselves, then the kingdom is available to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nobody's getting in except through that door. Yes? What's the name of that hymn? The name of that hymn is None of Self and All of Thee by Theodore Monad, published in 1875. You can Google on it. That's what I did. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there's music for it somewhere, (laughs) online. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once you acknowledge that you cannot do it on your own, what is your response going to be? Well, the normal response is either despair or trying to drown your sorrow in some alcoholic beverage, some life experience, some something, to mask the fact that you have no hope. We discussed the fact that on each of these beatitudes, and there is a progression that we're going to work our way through, on each of the beatitudes, there is the proper response, once you acknowledge that you are poor in spirit, to enter the kingdom through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then there is an improper response, which is try to hide it and cover it up. And that's what so many of us do. But... The correct response, once you acknowledge that you cannot do it, is to be sad. Huh. That's no fun. We started with blessed are the poor in spirit. And today we're going to talk about blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you just look at this, at the surface level, it makes very little sense. Happy are those Are sad. That's essentially what it's saying. Blessed are those who mourn. But the question is what are we mourning over? What are we doing that causes us to be sad? Well, the easy answer is this. Once I acknowledge that I am poor in spirit, that I cannot save myself, that there is no hope for me to enter the kingdom of heaven, I recognize the fact that my sin has isolated me from God. The sin in my life has driven a wedge between me and God, and I mourn over the reality of my sin." What causes us to mourn today? What causes us to cry? A couple of weeks ago, I read a, a survey about what causes people to cry at different ages. And I thought it was actually kind of interesting. Children cry when they have physical pain. I mean, you get physical pain and you start crying. And the article, and I don't know if this is true, and I actually thought about having a show of hands or something, but we're not going to do it. Adults, on the other hand, rarely cry because of physical pain. I mean, it hurts, but it's, it's just there. Children, on the other hand, don't care much about relationships, and, well, you get the picture, right? I've often wondered this. I think I've told you that, you know, the last three months I've been helping my wife down in the children's department during the second hour, and the first Sunday I'm there, you know, I go up and there's this nine-month-old little girl, and I say, hi, how are you? And she looks at me, and she smiles. Good response. There's another nine-month-old girl. I go, hi, how are you? And she screams. <laughs> I'm going, what happened? Why, why do these kids cry for an hour? We won't go there. <laughs> what is it that causes us to mourn? There are a lot of things that cause us to cry. Bad relationships, bad responses, getting caught, the consequences of our actions. Rarely do we concern ourselves with the sin. We concern ourselves with the consequences of the sin. I think I told you years ago I read a little article about uh, Dr. Laura. Is she even still on? I have no idea. And somebody asked her, What is the number one question that you get asked? And she said, It's a form. It's not a particular question, but there's a form. It's, I've done something I shouldn't have done. How do I get out of the consequences? And that's the way we are. We do something that we know is wrong. There are adverse consequences for it, and we want to get out of the consequences. We mourn because we got caught. But that's not the mourning that's being talked about here. The mourning that's being talked about here is the acknowledgement that we have broken the commands of a holy God. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, You do remember, right? You have your sermon notes? There was a sermon about, we're working our way through 2 Corinthians. If you remember, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is good grief. Did I just say that? And there is bad grief. There is the good morning that leads to the acknowledgement. It leads to what? Repentance. We talked about repentance. Why did we talk about repentance? Because John the Baptist came and he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus took over John's ministry and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, Godly sorrow, godly mourning, godly crying produces repentance. Question. Why don't we repent? Why don't we, when we see the consequences of our sin, when we see the consequences of our action, why don't we repent? Pride? (gasps) We like our sin. We don't like the consequences of our sin, but we like our sin. And our pride says, we're going to do it our way. Who are you to tell me that I've done it wrong? Now, if you remember last week's lesson, we ended with the very last piece of the Sermon on the Mount just to make sure we all understood where we were going. And it said that Jesus spoke as one who had authority. You know, you can sit here and look at me and say, who are you to tell me what to do? But when you look at the creator of the universe who made everything and said, who are you to tell me what to do? There's something wrong with you, not with him. But our pride says... I'm going to do it my way. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and the promise that we have in the scripture is that our godly sorrow will bring us comfort. That's why we're blessed. You're not blessed just because you're miserable. You can be miserable for a lot of different things. But once we acknowledge that God has provided the way into the kingdom apart from our works and based on his work, then we receive comfort. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. The blessing of all of this is not the mourning. The blessing of it is the comfort that we get. What comfort do we get? We get the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to the Father through his blood. (gasps) Start reading some of the works of Paul. This is what he's talking about. This is the gospel message. I was alienated from God, but God has reconciled me. I was at war with God, and now I have peace. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about the peacemakers. Why do we not repent? Because we don't think we need to. Why do we not think we need to? Because we're not really poor in spirit. We're going to work our way through this progression. And I know what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to jump somewhere in the middle and go, okay, Being a peacemaker, that sounds good. I'll be a peacemaker. Hungering and thirst after righteousness, I'll buy that one. Let's do that one. And you're going to skip the ones at the beginning and you're really going to skip the ones at the end. That's the persecution ones. But you can't do that. You cannot do that. Why do we not repent? Because we don't we need to. I've told you here before, before, you know, my father used to call me up and invite me to lunch, okay? And I'd always go, because he always bought. (laughs) Now, it's kind of flipped now. My son calls me up and wants to go to lunch, because, wait, I buy. Anyway, (laughs) my father would call me up and invite me to lunch, and I'd go to lunch, He'd pay for it, and I'd say, thank you. And I was, I was truly thankful that he bought me lunch. But you know the reality is? I've got money in my pocket, and I could have bought lunch. I was not going to starve if my dad didn't buy me lunch. And that's the way sometimes we view the work of God. We're grateful. I'm glad God gave me stuff. I'm glad that Jesus came. But the reality is, you know, I could have done it on my own. I'm a pretty good guy. I still have that little bit of me that thinks I can do it on my own. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Because those that mourn, those who have experienced that deep emotion that says I cannot do it, They will be comforted. Those are the ones that will receive the comfort of salvation. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. Let's read a little bit of this. It's just so much fun. Let's start in chapter 1. verse 7 of chapter 1. Ah, let's back up all the way to verse 3. It's too good. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have redemption and we have forgiveness What is the comfort that we receive when we mourn, when we acknowledge that our sins have separated us from God? We have reconciliation. We have redemption. Our sins have been paid for. Our sins have been paid for. And we receive forgiveness. We talked last week at the beginning about the fact that in the Garden of Eden, we were separated from God, and every religious activity that has been done since then to today is an attempt to get back to where we were. We have an innate sense that things are not the way they ought to be, and so we are reconciled, we have redemption, we receive forgiveness, and that relationship is restored. That's the comfort that we receive. (sighs) That is the primary idea in Blessed Are They That Mourn. But the reality is, and we're all old enough to know this, The reality is that even after we become believers, we still mourn. There are still things in life that cause us (sighs) to recognize that they're just not right. We know this because we know that Jesus mourned. We know that he wept. And Jesus had no sin in his own life. So what is it as a believer that causes us to mourn? And what is the comfort that we receive in the midst of that mourning? Huh. Well, let's look at what Jesus wept about. What did Jesus cry about? I know of at least two. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He looked at Jerusalem, and he saw what was going to happen to it. He saw that it was going to be destroyed. He saw that the people are going to be scattered. He saw the destruction that was going to be. Why? Because Jerusalem had rejected the Messiah. We look at the world around us today. We read the newspaper. We read the magazines. We watch the TV. And we have the natural devastation of Harvey. We have the political devastation of, we won't go there. And we weep because we know what happens When we, as a world, go our own way. Jesus wept when he looked at Jerusalem. What else did he weep about? Huh? The grief of Mary and Martha. Martha. (laughs) Lazarus, Jesus' friend, died. Mary and Martha called Jesus, Come on, save him before he dies. He dawdles. He just takes his time getting there. We'll talk about this at length later. But he finally gets there and Lazarus has been dead for a couple of days, three days. He's just dead. And Mary and Martha say, what, are we holding up four fingers? Was it four days? Four days. And Mary and Martha are sad. Their brothers died. You'd be sad. I'd be sad. And Jesus the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because in the next verse, the next verse, he's going to raise him from the dead. Don't you think Jesus knew that? I would have laughed and said, ha, 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 here it comes. That's what I would have done. But Jesus knew that death was not part of the created order. Death was a result of the fall of sin entering to the world. And I might put a caveat right here, just so you don't get in trouble. Don't ever, unless you are a prophet from God and are willing to be stoned if you're wrong, don't ever try to speculate which sin caused which death. That'll that'll do nothing for you but get you in trouble. But we know that sin brought death into the world. The person who gets cancer is not more or less righteous than the person who doesn't. But the cancer is a result of sin in this world. And Jesus knew... That this was not the way it was supposed to be. And the relationship of Martha and Mary was so strong that Jesus shared their emotion and he wept. But what was the comfort? Ooh. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And one of the sisters, which one? Said, I know that's true, and I know at the end day we'll see it. it was that was Martha. And Jesus said, No, I am the resurrection. It's going to happen today. What is the comfort that we as believers have that those outside of Christ don't have? What we have is the resurrection. What is said at every funeral that you go to of a believer. We weep, but not as those who have no hope. Yes, we mourn, but we have comfort because we know that God is still at work. And here's the bizarre thing to me. Those who want to argue against Christianity, one of the arguments they always put forth is what about all the pain and suffering in the world? The reality is, whatever their belief system is, it has to explain all the pain and suffering in the world too. But they have no hope. They have no hope. What did Jesus weep over? He wept over Jerusalem and he wept over death in this world today. Yes. What you just mentioned about people who argue against Christianity, and mm-hmm. their argument is the all the pain and suffering in this world. But of course, I might extend this to also the injustices of the mm-hmm. world. Um, I had that argument for that discussion rather when they laid who he was healed. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I told you that years ago. I was listening to the radio, and they were. Uh, some show, I forgot what it was, and they were talking about this guy, the guy speaking, went to a funeral of a friend. And the pastor at the funeral, the woman had died of cancer, the pastor at the funeral spent the whole funeral blasting George Bush for not giving more money to cancer research. And the guy that was attending the funeral, who as far as I know is a devout atheist, He said, is that all the hope that you have to give to the family? That it's George Bush's fault? We acknowledge the fact that there is pain and there is suffering in the world. We do not believe in a health, wealth, gospel that I become a believer and all my life is a piece of cake from that day forward. We don't believe that. You've lived enough life to know that's not true. You've lived enough life to know that there's pain and suffering in this world, but God promises us that we will have comfort in the midst of that pain. Now, Jesus wept, and he had no sin. We as believers weep because of the situation in the world, because of lost people that we come in contact with, but we have to at least acknowledge the reality that we as believers, even though we have the grace of God in our lives, still continue to sin. Anybody want to argue that point with me? (laughs) Remember in Romans, you know, Paul is setting out this great case of, you know, justification by faith alone. Jesus Christ doing it all. And then he gets over to chapter 7 and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. There are those who believe that he's talking in that passage about his life before he became a believer. I don't think that's true. I think he's talking about himself at the moment that he's writing it. But what is the comfort that God gives him? That's the end of chapter 7. What's the first verse of chapter 8? You should know this. Ted quotes it all the time. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. (gasps) Where's the comfort? The comfort is in knowing that those sins, just like those sins over there and those sins in the future, those sins have been forgiven and will not separate us from the love of God. <sighs> huh. Chapter 8 goes on to say what shall separate us from the love of God and it gives this list of everything imaginable and it can't. None of those things can separate us from the love of God. So, we as believers, we mourn like Jesus did for the sake of the world. We mourn because of the sin that is in our own lives. Why else do we mourn? Well, sometimes God is just working in our lives. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, and it talks about, you don't really have to go there, I'm not really going to read it. But it talks about God disciplining us like He disciplines those, like a father disciplines his son. Now, that word discipline sometimes throws us because we think that it means He's spanking us. You know, you discipline a child that misbehaves. And that's true. That is true. But I think that's only half of it. If you're a coach and you're preparing a team to play a game, they have to be disciplined, they have to be taught to do things they didn't think they could do. They have to be able, they have to be pushed to accomplish goals that they didn't know they could accomplish. And that's what we talk about, discipline. But it also tells us in Hebrews that that's not very pleasant. That's not very pleasant at times. Discipline doesn't feel good. If you are, and I'm not, if you are or were a star athlete and you knew the work that it took to prepare, the work is not the goal. Winning the race is the goal. That's why we're told to throw away all that stuff that is weighing us down. But wait, I really like that stuff. It's weighing us down and it needs to be removed. But wait, that's painful. That's the pain. What's the comfort? The comfort is knowing what it is accomplishing in your life. Huh? Sanctification. Sanctification, where we become conformed to the image of Christ. And this is interesting to me. One of those verses that we always talk about that I'm never really sure what it means. It says that Jesus Christ himself learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Wait a minute. He didn't have any sin to work through. No, but he had to learn to discipline his body and his mind and his life just like you and I do. Because he was going to suffer for our sins. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Let's see if we can figure out a little more of what comfort this brings. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to the comfort that we have when we acknowledge we can't do it on our own. We'll talk about that verse when we talk about being a peacemaker. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What have we received That brings us comfort when we mourn, when we repent from our sin. We have access to the grace of God. That's interesting. We have access to the grace of God because we've acknowledged that we can't do it on our own. As long as we think we can do it on our own, God's going to wait. But here comes the part that we're interested in. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I don't know about you. I've put up with a lot of sufferings. I'm not sure I rejoice too much in them. We rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us? Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope protects us from shame. What is the comfort that comes after the morning? It is the acknowledgement that God is using our suffering. I am not ever, ever, ever going to ask for a show of hands. But do we really believe that's true? Do we really acknowledge the fact that God does use all things for our good? That's easy to say when things are going well. It's a lot harder to say When the cancer hits someone you love. When the accident comes. When the... When the... When the... And then people come and go, why did God allow this to happen? And my only honest answer is, I don't know. But God can use it to accomplish His good. We are being prepared to live in another world. Why did John the Baptist, why did Jesus come preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because there's a kingdom of this world that's going to die. It's going to die and it's going to take everyone in that kingdom with it. And there is a kingdom of heaven that is preparing us to live with God, with Christ for eternity. And the path into that kingdom looks different. It is different. How can we sit here and talk about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mourn, or the ones at the end, blessed are those who are persecuted, unless we believe that there's something better Coming, And all we're doing is being prepared for that world. It's not this world. It's that world. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall, they will be comforted. The blessing that we get from this beatitude is the acknowledgement that for every sorrow, there is a comfort. And sometimes we don't see it. Oftentimes we don't see it. There are things that have happened in my life that I go, eh, I don't know why that happened. Do I acknowledge the fact that God's got it figured out and someday it's all going to work out? That's the comfort that we receive. The first comfort we receive is when we acknowledge our sin and we repent and we are given the comfort of salvation. As we live the Christian life, as we are sanctified, as we suffer, as we suffer for our sins, we repent of our sins, we acknowledge that there is no condemnation, we acknowledge the fact that we are being disciplined to be conformed to the image of Christ, we acknowledge the fact that the suffering produces character in our lives, we acknowledge all that, and we live by faith. It's going to be an odd person in this room who makes it to the end of their life with no grief and suffering. Most of you have probably already messed it up. Okay? The question is what are we going to allow God to do with that suffering? Blessed are the those who are poor in spirit. But I don't want to be poor in spirit. I want to do it on my own. My pride says I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go fight. I'm going to fight. Fight, fight, fight until the day I die because I don't want to give in. But blessed are the poor in spirit who acknowledge that for then the door of the kingdom is open to them. But as they're standing at that door, they acknowledge that there's this huge weight of sin in their lives. The grief overwhelms them because of what God's holiness reveals about their lack of holiness. And at that point, you can turn and you can run away and you can try to whitewash it, good Pharisee. You can try to get rid of thinking about it by activities, by some beverage of your choice, or just living a life of running so you don't have to acknowledge it. Anything except turning to the comfort that God gives us. Now, we're going to end with the same place that we ended last week, and that is the last verses of the Sermon on the Mount, because I want to remind us, at least for a few more weeks, of what it says. Those who hear these words and put them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock, And when the storms come, it doesn't say if. When the storms come, the house stands because it is on a firm foundation. But the person who hears these words and doesn't put them into practice, their house is the house that is built on the foundation of sand. And when the storm comes, and the storms are going to come, That house collapses because it does not have a firm foundation. The foundation is not hearing the word. The foundation is hearing the word and putting it into practice. What does that mean when we talk about, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It means that we have the faith to accept God's word as being true. Does that mean we don't weep? Of course we weep. Christ wept. When people around us are hurting, we hurt with them. Or you really are just a heartless whatever. We weep when those around us weep. But we do not weep as those who have no hope. Turn to the book of Revelation, if you will. We're going to read this one. Chapter 21. We're going to get a running start into it. Next to the last chapter in the Bible. We're getting to the end of the whole Bible, and what does he tell us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Remember the Jerusalem he was mourning over because it was going to be destroyed? This is the new one. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Here it comes. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What is the ultimate comfort that we receive When we acknowledge that Jesus is the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, the ultimate that we receive is the acknowledgement that there's going to be a day. It's not today. Well, it could be today. That's somebody else's calendar. There's going to be a day when there won't be any more mourning, there won't be any more crying. There won't be any more broken relationships. There won't be any more diseases. There won't be any more anything that causes us grief. And Christ himself is going to come and wipe away all the tears. It's interesting. There's another verse in the book of Revelation that talks about him storing up the tears. It's it's an interesting imagery. He is storing our tears Work good from them Hmm. Blessed are those that mourn. Happy are those who are sad, but only if they are sad for the right reasons. If they are sad because of their sin and they repent. If they are sad because the world is not the world, the, way, the world is not the way it ought to be, because they are being disciplined and they acknowledge that God has the right to do it. This is a path that many of us find alien because it violates everything that the world tells you. Trust me, you're never, ever going to see a beer commercial with people sitting around mourning. (laughs) Just think about it. You're not going to see it. The ultimate question, the ultimate question is who are you going to believe? Jesus, out of his very mouth, said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort. Are we going to believe Jesus? Are we going to live a life of faith that acknowledges he created us and he created a world and this is how to live in it? Or are we going to continue to fight and fight to receive some other comfort other than acknowledging that we have sinned in the eyes of God? That's the question. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the comfort that you have given us, the comfort of our salvation, the comfort to live in this life, and the true comfort that we will receive in heaven. I pray, Lord, that we would mourn over our sin and cling to you and your salvation to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.